Welcome to My Weekly Mixtape, a podcast that takes the classic mixtape approach to building a modern playlist. I'm your host, Brian Colburn. Joining me for tonight's collaboration is fellow podcaster and friend, Jason Whistle, host of the It's Not That Bad podcast. Jason, thanks so much for joining me tonight. Brian, thank you so much for bringing me on. It's been way too long since we've been on a podcast together, whether it be Playlist Wars or It's Not That Bad. So the opportunity to go through my entire Spotify playlist and pick out some great opening riffs, this has been so much fun. Happy to be here. Well, I am glad to have you. But before we get down to business, let's get nostalgic for a moment. What is something about mixtapes that you personally feel hasn't translated into the present day creation and curation of playlists. I think the problem with playlists these days is it doesn't have the time commitment that it took to actually make a mixtape. When you sat down to make a mixtape, and I'm sure you're probably the same way, but let me go through like what it used to be for me. I would get my stack of CDs and place them in order, have the ghetto blaster right in front of me, time everything out. And it was a day. Like you would spend two to three hours meticulously planning it, tweaking tapes just back a little bit far enough so you you know miss the end bit of the previous song. It was a commitment like you put work into that so then when you finally got into the car or popped it into your walkman it was exactly how you wanted it the work paid off now with the spotify playlist it's like oh, i'll throw this song in there throw this song in there and you lose almost the sense of satisfaction of hearing that tape and everyone knew that person you know in the car you'd open it up and there were like 20 mixtapes and each one had its own purpose whether it be for a road trip whether it be for the psych up whether it be you know the mixtape you made for the girlfriend in high school like whatever it was there was meaning behind it and work and you appreciated it a bit more i think and that's something that i'm trying to recapture through this new podcast and i'm hoping that by our conversations and building mixtapes on the fly like we used to do growing up Putting the effort into deciding which song is going to come next really shines through in this show. Now, with this being episode one, I feel it's only fitting that our topic is like you mentioned at the top, opening guitar riffs. Now, Jason, when I was putting my bank of songs together for tonight, the songs that rose to the top for me were those instantly recognizable guitar riffs, songs that I would easily guess within one second if I was playing Hurdle and this song happened to be the song of the day, simply because these songs are truly ingrained in my musical DNA. What were you looking for in the songs that you've brought to the table this evening? You know, it's funny. My process changed from the moment we were first talking about this episode to the short list that I finally have, because I first started thinking about all these great intros to songs. Then I realized like, yeah, but it's not really a guitar riff. I'll throw one example out of a song that actually didn't make the short list. The live version of Love Song by Tesla off the Five Man Acoustical Jam album. It is one of the best acoustic guitar intros I've heard on a live album ever, but it's not really a riff. It's more like a solo jam kind of thing. So all of a sudden it's like, well, all of a sudden now it's not a riff. You know, and I try to narrow it down. You know, if it was a drum intro, I'd, I'd eliminate it. If it was more of a vocal intro, I'd eliminate it. There's some songs where you can tell the song right away, 
but it's not necessarily a great riff per se. So it's been a bit of a process and the list has gone through a few permutations, but I think of the songs that I have shortlisted, there's some really good ones here. Ones that people are going to be like, oh, no, yep. As soon as the guitar hits, you can hear the crowd almost scream at a live show. Well, I love where you're coming from with that, Jason. I'm glad you mentioned Tesla's love song because that version on Five Man Acoustical Jam is one of my May I Help You riffs when I go to a guitar store. I start playing the opening on an acoustic because that gives me an idea if that's the guitar that's right for me. So I love that you chose that one as an example, but <laughs> I digress. Let's get down to business. For those that are listening tonight, if you haven't figured it out, Jason and I will be curating our own opening guitar riffs mixtape. And we'll use the old cassette deck approach, meaning our mixtape will be broken up into two sides, side A and side B. Jason, as my guest this evening, will begin side A with his first song choice, and then I'll add a song that I feel best follows up Jason's choice. We'll then flip-flop for our choosing songs until we've mapped out 10 songs for side A. Then we'll give our mixtape a proverbial flip, and we'll begin to map out side B. And on that side... I will begin with my song of choice and Jason will follow up. Our overall goal for this episode is to craft the best opening guitar riffs mixtape possible through the 20 songs we're choosing. At the end of the show, you could take our conversation to the next level by visiting the opening guitar riffs page at myweeklymixtape.com and give our final album a listen via the embedded playlist. The best part you don't even have to worry about any blank space at the end of each side. Finally, if you like what you're hearing on the show, please consider becoming a Patreon mixtaper at patreon.com forward slash my weekly mixtape. Jason, before I turn it over to you to reveal your track one, some of the fellow mixtapers who follow us at my weekly mixtape on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok have chimed in with their ideal opening track for a greatest opening guitar riff mixtape. And these truly run the gamut. So this could be some food for thought for the two of us. Coach Fisher chimed in with Metallica's For Whom the Bell Tolls. Bobby Schultz chimed in with Black Sabbath's Iron Man. Simon Evans chimed in with Audio Slave's Cochise. Eric, Time to Get Ill, chimed in with Pantera's Cowboys from Hell. Canardian Girl chimed in with Simple Minds' Changeling. Jason Donsis chimed in with Black Crows twice as hard and Gary Radcliffe chimed in with the Rolling Stones. Can't you hear me knocking? Now, just from those choices alone, you can already see the various directions that this topic can conceivably take us. So, Jason, I've officially pressed record on our mixtape and the floor is yours. Why don't you dive into the song you chose to kick off side A? Okay, I'm going to go with a song from probably my favorite era of music, like right in the thick of the really good rock 90s. It's a song that not only will start our playlist here, but basically introduced us to Bush, and that's Machine Head. When you think about that opening riff, starting off before the full band kicks in, you know the minute they play this song, the crowd is going to go nuts. It's probably the encore at this point, but... That song, when you think about it, has stood the test of time. And it's nice to see the Bush is still out there and touring right now. They're uh, getting ready to hit the road again with Candlebox. But this song, it's timeless. Say what you will about some of their middle career albums, but the 16 Stone, 
is such a good album and sure people will probably point to glycerin as being the biggest song on that album but machine head for me the minutes on the radio the car stereo is turned up i don't care what the kids in the back are saying i'm cranking that song i'm glad you're doing that because honestly that to me is a perfect snapshot of 90s hard rock not necessarily your sound garden Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Grunge, but it had a little bit more of a straight-ahead, meat-and-potatoes rock vibe. I've played that song in cover bands over the years in my life, and it's one of those songs that, no matter how many years has passed since it came out in 1994, if I'm not mistaken, here we are in 2023, and the song still sounds fresh and still sounds modern. The song is timeless, and it's a perfect choice to start things off tonight. I love, love, love the pick. So now to bounce off that, I'm scrolling through my songs trying to decide what's a good way to follow that up, because that one is powerful. And I think the way I'm going to do it is instead of naming the song, I'm just going to say something, and you're immediately going to know the song I'm thinking about. And during the few moments that we have left, we want to talk right down to earth, in a language that everybody here can easily understand. And right now, everybody listening, and you, Jason, as I see you nodding, are hearing the iconic Vernon Reed riff that kicks off one of my favorite hard rock songs of the 1980s. I'm going with, from 1998's Vivid, Living Color, Cult of Personality. This song won a very well-deserved Grammy for Best Hard Rock Performance, Let's be honest, Vernon Reed is one of the most underrated guitar players on the planet. And this song is easily an example why he should be put up there with all of the greats. This song has a timeless energy to it. It is manic, it is heavy, it is visceral, and it is everything I love about it opening guitar track to really make the hair on your arm stand up and just bring you all in full bore guns blazing living color cult of personality. Yeah. I can't disagree with that song. I mean, you're right. Vernon Reed is such a monster guitarist and the fact that that song carried on, not just on radio, but you know, the fact that it became an entrance music for of course, CM punk, it's such a big song. So you have to think if I'm going to follow that a great guitarist song. You know what? I think I'm going to go with a little bit of Ian Thornley, the Oaf from Big Wreck. Now, again, another debut album, another you know introduction to this band. Ian Thornley is a phenomenal guitarist. And I, this we talked a little bit about this with Love Song from Tesla in that this song is almost more of an intro but just the warble on that opening riff, and then all of a sudden when they kick into the song, to me, this is Big Wreck. This song and Lady Like from their second CD is another great song. But just the opening, the reverb, you know, almost clean sound, and then when the full band kicks in, absolutely love this song. So yeah, the Oaf, Big Wreck. In loving memory of definitely one of those underrated albums of the 90s that when you listen to it, you have to wonder why they didn't become bigger than they were. Obviously, you have the Oaf and that song being like the two 
memorable tracks from the album, but these guys were kind of flying beneath the radar, at least in the U.S. Maybe they were larger in Canada where you're from, but from what I heard on radio, I feel like they just didn't get the love outside of, let's say, college radio and independent radio because the mainstream just kind of overlooked it, and it's really a shame. Mm-hmm. I will say that when in, in Loving Memory Of came out, much music was playing their videos ad nauseum. Blown Wide Open was in constant heavy rotation. Not so much, you know, second album and on. And yes, Big Wreck is back together. They're actually using the drummer from Thornley's solo band. So they're still going. They're still putting out music. So it's still out there. Go find some of those new albums. Well, as we're talking now, I am scrolling through my list thinking what could possibly follow this up. And we've kind of touched 90s, 80s, 90s. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to dip back a little bit because I know we have people listening from all different eras. But with the mixtape we're putting together here, I kind of want to cross some eras of music. And I'm going to go to for a song that in 2010 was ranked number 300 in Rolling Stone's the 500 greatest songs of all time, and also ranked number one in Q Magazine's 20 greatest guitar tracks. For me, this is the quintessential Led Zeppelin riff, and I'm going with Black Dog from 1971's Untitled, or as the rest of the world knows it, Led Zeppelin 4. This song was actually inspired by the pre-Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham version of Fleetwood Mac. They put out a song in 1969 called Oh Well, which if you're looking for a really cool cover of that song on Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, the live anthology, they do an absolutely kick-ass version of it. But I digress. Jason, I know you're a bass player. I'm a bass player. And for me, it doesn't get any better than the pride that I take in the fact that this monster riff has nothing to do with Jimmy Page. This is a John Paul Jones riff, and it is one of the most iconic songs. Not only is that riff completely undeniable by anybody, the fact that John Bonham plays straight through the song's turnaround in the chorus, and it almost gives you a perception that the timing of the song is being thrown off. It adds this layer of complexity to a song that's not necessarily complex when you listen to the individual parts, but the way that timing and it kind of creates this madness during the second half of the riff, it always stuck out to me like, wow, these guys are insanely talented. But when you start listening to each instrument, yes, they are insanely talented, but they're not doing anything that would be at the level of like a rush turnaround where the song kind of whittle diddles into some other stratosphere. These guys are keeping it meat and potatoes rock, but Bonham's straight drumming through it actually adds a layer of complexity. So with this one, the riff is a monster. The song is a monster. And I'm going with Black Dog by Led Zeppelin. You know, it's funny when we were talking about making this list and you were saying, I'm sure you'll pick up some Led Zeppelin. No, actually, I have no Led Zeppelin action on my short list. So it's going to be very interesting to see what I pull out to follow that one up with. And I think I'm going to go with something. It's a heavier, chunkier riff, but not from a band that you would expect it from. 
I'm going to go with Lakini's Juice from Live. If ever there was a song where the guitar tone said everything about what you're about to hear. And this is coming after the Throwing Copper album where, you know, obviously Lightning Crashes got a lot of play. I Alone got a lot of play. And it's not like they were, it was more of a melodic album. So when Lakini's Juice hits the radio and you just have that heavy chunk guitar riff, like anyone who is like, oh, hey, a new live album, another Lightning Crashes, this is a big night. What is this? (laughs) What is this? And it's just so good. I had two songs in my mind based on guitar tone alone. And this, I think, is the perfect time to drop Lakini's Juice from live because, it's again, it, it hits that heaviness that would follow Black Dog fairly well, I think. I am going to get crushed by live fans for this one. Maybe. Uh-oh. But Secret Samadhi is hands down, with ease, my favorite live album. I absolutely love this album on a completely other level than Throwing Copper. Rattlesnake is a sludgy driving opener. That chunky riff of Lakini's Juice, it just, your head is bobbing from the first two notes. And it's so ridiculously heavy. And then you throw a song in there like Freaks, which is so creepy and so weird. And it's so perfect. I love this album so much, but I know how Throwing Copper is kind of their massive mainstream album but this one was like to me was kind of the green days insomniac to dookie they had this album that was so big they were never going to capture that lightning in a bottle again so instead of just re-recording the album they kind of stretched their boundaries and green day on insomniac kind of went raw punk not as poppy they kind of sucked the pop out of the songs which is why insomniac is my favorite green day album this one it's not as smooth and it's not as silky as throwing copper is and throwing copper has some great songs some heavy songs i love the album but it just feels like they kind of got four guys in a room and just laid it out warts and all playing live it just has this real feel to it so love the album and absolutely love this pick man this is good I will say Secret Samadhi is probably my second favorite live album right behind The Distance to Here. Really? The one that followed it. Songs like Run to the Water, The Dolphins Cry, and, you know, if I'm being a little personal about it, the song that my wife and I danced to at our wedding was Dance With You, the last track off of uh, The Distance to Hear. So I agree with you that Throwing Copper is a phenomenal album, but not the best live album. Again, personal opinion. Well, I actually know what I'm going to follow this up with because you have this kind of crunchy, driving, get-your-head-bobbing riff, and I want to continue that energy. So I'm going to go with a riff that on paper will probably be one of the easiest riffs to play because it is, in fact... One note. And I am going with from 1996's Evil Empire, Rage Against the Machine, Bulls on Parade. That opening riff where Tom Morello is just playing octaves. And yet, he still manages to pummel you with this riff. It is just insane 
And to take that a step further, it is probably their most iconic riff besides maybe Killing in the Name. And to me, as much as Rage Against the Machine's self-titled album is easily in one of my top 10 albums of the 90s and maybe of all time, this riff really stands out to me when I'm thinking about most memorable opening guitar riffs of all time. I do want to give a shout out to Rob Ebert, who chimed in on social media with this one as well. Rage Against the Machine, Bulls on Parade. You know what's funny? We've got this a lot of good heavy stuff in a row. And, you know, it's one of those things where you sit there and go, do you continue with the heavy or do you throw a curveball in there? Because mm-hmm. around song seven, it's like, okay, I've had my good taste of late 80s, early 90s section. Then we got our heavier section. So, you know what? I think I'm going to go with the curveball here. Uh oh. And I'm going to go back a couple decades as well. I have to say, and you know, again, we're both performing musicians here. So we both have songs, I'm sure, that are in our set list that you just, you gear up. The minute you you see it on the set list on that little piece of paper by your feet and by your guitar pedals, you're like, all right, here we go. And for me, whenever I'm playing live, my favorite song in the set list is Long Train Running from the oh, Doobie Brothers. Yes. There's almost a swagger to that opening guitar riff. Right. And aside from, you know, it having a fun bass groove to play along with, having some phenomenal uh, like vocal harmonies through the whole thing, but it's just that opening riff, right? That cross between like a plugged in acoustic one, like it just sounds so good. And the minute you hear it, like, and you, you see it too at the clubs, right? You start playing that song, people like all of a sudden get up out of their chairs and their tables and they're ready to hit the dance floor. So as a music lover, I appreciate that. As a musician, I appreciate the effect that that song has. And we have a lot of fun songs in our set list. This is actually my favorite one to play every time. Absolutely every time. Fantastic pick, man. And, you know, kind of diving a little bit outside of the guitar part of it, because that's obviously iconic. If you screw up the harmonies when performing that song live, ooh, can you lose a room quick? That Mm -hmm. song needs to be done perfect. It's one of those iconic vocal songs as well. And that's something I think the doobies get kind of overlooked on, but their harmonies to me are up there, I would say, with the Eagles, Fleetwood Mac, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, when you hear those harmonies, you automatically know what band you're listening to. And it's such an amazing classic rock song. Obviously, if this was a live show coming out of Bulls on Parade, people might want to kind of wipe the blood off their face and uh, (laughs) (laughs) groove a little bit. And honestly, there's no denying the power of this song. So I love the pick. And what I'm going to do is stay in a little bit of a classic rock vibe here and kind of follow off that one. And I am going to go with Dwayne Allman's finest riff. Now, you have plenty of riffs to choose from when you're talking Dwayne Allman. And even just in the three years of his time in the Allman Brothers before his untimely passing in 1971, I'm going to go with the seminal 1970s classic, Derek and the Dominoes, Layla. If you remember back when we were growing up, those KTEL compilations, there used to be one for classic rock. And this guy with this really long-haired 70s wig on would come out and, and hype it. But this was the song that played. And I actually said to my father, I'm like, what is this? I don't know this song. And he, you don't know this? He's like, 
I failed as a father. I got to fix this. So he pulled out Layla and assorted love songs and he introduced me to this. And I knew who Cream was and I knew who Eric Clapton was. I didn't realize until I got older that Eric Clapton was part of this as well and Blind Faith. And you think about all the amazing things that Eric Clapton has been a part of and all the iconic riffs. Even though Dwayne Almond's playing this riff, this is kind of a twofer for me because I get to include Eric Clapton in this conversation. Because when you talk about opening riffs, it's kind of hard to not think of one of the greatest classic rock slash blues guitarists of that time. Now, this riff was based on one of my favorite blues artists, Albert King's song, As the Years Go Passing By. It's obviously a lot more manic and faster. But the other thing I want to talk about this one is this song actually tanked as a single. They originally released it as a radio edit, and it was only two minutes and 43 seconds, and it bombed. And apparently it actually caused some like serious depression issues for Clapton, but they ended up re-releasing it in its seven-plus-minute glory, and then it became the anthem it was obviously destined to be. This is one that obviously is very mainstream. Everybody knows it, but my God, the song is just perfect, and... I have to go with it. Derek and the Dominoes, Layla. Oh, such a good song. And it's one of those songs, too, where you can sit there. I'm sure there is a debate waiting to happen as to which version of the song is better, the original Derek and the Dominoes or the MTV Unplugged from Clapton's you know solo show. But in all honesty, you really can't go wrong with either or. But yes, the Derek and the Dominoes, it's again, it's that swagger in the guitar line. Oh, now I have to go through here because I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, how do you follow that one up? That to me feels like it should have been a side closer, mm-hmm. but coming at a long train run and I had to stop and say, you know what? It just works perfectly here. But now remember at the end of Layla, you got that nice little slow melodic jam. So mm-hmm. now you could kind of take this in a lot of different directions. Oh, I know. And there's a couple here where I'm just like, I could go this way. I could go this way. You know, if I was to go try to match tonality, I know which song I think, but I think, I think, seeing how you've got that nice piano end, I'm going to do a complete 180 and go back to heavy and go for a little walk with Pantera. Oh, (laughs) yeah. No one in the history of anyone should ever put Pantera after Derek and the Dominoes, but here we are. Again, one of those songs, and I'm sure people are seeing it now, perhaps sometimes for the first time ever, you know, now that Phil Anselmo and Rex Brown are back on the road, of course, with Charlie Benante and Zach Wilde, but just that opening, people have tried to cover it. Nothing compares to the original walk Pantera. Like, honestly, if you can't hear the crowd screaming already, you're doing it wrong. There really seems to be a small collective of people online that are in no way, shape or form happy about the fact that Phil and Rex are getting together with Charlie and Zach to do these legacy or reunion shows using quote marks in the air, however you want to frame it. Personally, there's no two better people, I think, to fill the role of Dimebag and Vinny than Zach and Charlie. I actually didn't think Charlie in the beginning when they when they mentioned his name, I said, wow. That's actually perfect. I've watched a bunch of the videos and I have tickets to see them opening for Metallica this summer. I'm very excited to hear Zach 
taking on these guitar parts of one of his closest friends and bringing his style to it. I'm curious what you think of him. I, I completely agree. First of all, you know, we know how close Anthrax as a band were with Pantera, of course, with Vinny and Dime. And if you've gone to see an Anthrax show, especially shortly after Vinny passed away, whenever they do um, in the end, you, they've got the the banners that they were bringing out there that had Dime and, and Vinny on there, as well as the, the tribute to Ronnie James Dio as well. Yep, yep. And Zach Wilde. I mean, let's be honest. If anyone's going to match that guitar tone, it's him. Hands down. There's no question. Credentials aside, because we're talking about the guy that, you know, slung guitar for Ozzy for the longest time, you know, and not to mention in Rockstar starring Mark Wahlberg, yep. but... But I love that soundtrack for the. You don't have to sell that for me. You don't even have to. I love that soundtrack. I love the movie. It's got Jennifer Aniston in it, right? Marky Mark lip syncing to Miljenko Manajevic, the lead singer of Steelheart. I was all in. I'm like, this is amazing. I love this movie. Not to mention the fact that you had Brian Vanderark from the Verve Pipe working on some of the songs in the background. So yeah, absolutely love that album. But I think it's great. I think it's great that people who never got the chance to see Pantera live they're getting the closest possible thing out there. And anyone who says anything against it, sure, they might be purists, but you know what? It doesn't matter. Just because they're gone doesn't mean that Phil and Rex can't carry on that legacy and bring the music to the masses for the fans that kept the spirit of Pantera alive for all those years. I could tell you there are, if you go back to the Motown era, there are bands traveling from that era and performing at casinos and theaters where I don't think there's a single original member. The name has kind of become a legacy. And as each member has passed on and retired, they've brought in new blood. This isn't that. This is 50% of the original lineup and 100% of the living lineup. So I'm also not a gatekeeper when it comes to music. If the band wants to go out and play, if I want to go, I will go and support it. If I don't want to go, I just don't go and I keep my mouth shut because there might be other people out there that never got a chance to go see it happen on stage. And sure, it's not the same as Vinny and Dime being out there, but it's the best you could possibly get right now. And I'm all in on that. And I've also been talking for a while because I'm stalling because following <laughs> that up to end aside. You left me with a monster decision here because there's really no, I have nothing that heavy in my list, but this is closing out side a, so it's gotta be a massive tune. And while it's not as heavy as Pantera's walk, I am going with an artist and a guitarist where every single person listening to this show would immediately hit delete and unsubscribe if he was not talked about tonight. And that man is Eddie Van Halen. And I am going with the opener from 1981's Women and Children First. I'm going with Mean Street. Reason being, I had several Van Halen songs in my list, but to go from Walk to Panama, eh, I like it. <laughs> but then to go from Walk into Ain't Talk About Love, it's okay. Mean Street, I completely understand that Dimebag was a massive Kiss fan, but I have to believe in my heart of hearts that there was no way that he also didn't have some iota of respect 
for the way that Eddie Van Halen plays because I do hear elements of that throughout Dimebag solos across the Pantera albums. And this is probably the heaviest Van Halen riff of them all, in my opinion. And the song was never released as a single. I'll never understand that, ever. But it's rightfully become one of the band's most beloved album tracks. So this is a way for me to kind of go with a quote-unquote deep cut while still honoring the vibe we're going for in a song that I really don't think people would deny being an awesome guitar riff. I do want to give a shout-out to Cactus Pete, who chimed in with this one on Twitter. He, as well as several folks, chimed in with Van Halen tracks. And I'll be honest, like I just said, I could probably list 20 different Van Halen songs here, and any one of them would work because Eddie Van Halen is just that special. But following up Pantera's walk, Mean Street, man. It's funny, when we were talking about Lakini's Juice, I said there were two songs that I had shortlisted just based on guitar tone. The second one was a Van Halen track, but it was Don't Tell Me What Love Can Do, because just that opening heavy, it's a simple riff, but just that opening heavy chunk to it. Yeah, there's there's so much Van Halen that you could put in here, and sometimes you have to decide. Yeah, that's the thing, and I and I will put this out in the universe right now. Jason and I both know there is no way on this planet that we're going to please every single mixtaper out there that's listening to this show. There's only 20 choices and we each get 10. I have a list of over 30 sitting on my computer in front of me that I've whittled down from 50 and I have no idea which ones I'm going to pick. And there's going to be artists that are left off this mixtape for no reason other than the flow. But the beauty of it is there's always room for a volume two when it comes to mixtapes. And this is one of the topics I could definitely see revisiting. So here we are at the end of side A, and we've got our first 10 tracks mapped out. Those would be Machine Head by Bush, Cult of Personality by Living Color, The Oaf by Big Wreck, Black Dog by Led Zeppelin, Lakini's Juice by Live, Bulls on Parade by Rage Against the Machine, Long Train Running by the Doobie Brothers, Layla by Derek and the Dominoes, Walk by Pantera, and Mean Street by Van Halen. Now remember, you could always head over to myweeklymixtape.com to hear all of the songs we've discussed in this mix through the playlist I've embedded on the episode page. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Now, before we flip over our proverbial mixtape to side B, Jason, why don't you tell listeners a little bit more about It's Not That Bad? Brian, thanks so much for that. So It's Not That Bad is, as we joke around, it's the podcast that looks for A grades in B movies. So each episode will take a movie that is poorly rated by the critics, and we try to keep it at about 50% on Rotten Tomatoes or less. And then we try our best to find the good things to say about it. Sometimes it's tough, sometimes it's easy, I'll give it that, but we do our best to have a lot of fun along the way, and then every now and then we'll do a special called Grading on a Curve, where we'll have a group of people in, and we'll pick five movies of a specific category, and then rank them. Of course, the movies that we pick in that category are the worst movies possible in there, but we do have a lot of fun with that. And you can listen to that wherever you get your podcasts. We also are on Facebook now. We're on Twitter at Not That Badcast. And we actually just have a new website now at NotThatBadcast.com. So by all means, come by. We're always happy to hear about movies that people want to hear us talk about. Brian has been on the show a couple of times. So by all means, be sure to check out some of those episodes. It's been a ton of fun. And given that there's a bunch of bad movies coming out every year, we'll never be at a loss for things to talk about. And now that the tape has finished winding at the end of the side, because there's always a little bit of tape left over there, we can flip it over and move on to side B. And I'm going to start with a song where the guitar riff that is the highlighting part of this song doesn't actually start until a minute and 36 seconds into the song. But when it does, come on. I am going with 1985. The album is Brothers in Arms. The band is Dire Straits. And the song is Money for Nothing. Another first. This was the first video played on MTV Europe, which actually started in 1987. Long time after video killed the radio star, jump-started MTV in the U.S., And why wouldn't MTV Europe use this song for the first video? Sting is essentially singing a commercial for them. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, Mark Knopfler is one of those unique rock guitarists that has a style where as soon as you hear it, you know it's him. And bringing that style that he did on the early albums for them, Romeo and Juliet, Tunnel of Love, you listen to those earlier songs... And he kind of put an 80 sheen on it in Brothers in Arms. And it worked. This riff is heavy, but it still holds that style that is Mark Knopfler. And it kind of blends the two together. And the song just kicks all sorts of ass. I mean, look, Weird Al covered it as Beverly Hillbillies in the movie UHF. That already tells you the song is iconic. And I want to give a shout out to Jason Spiegel who chimed in with this one. But he was unsure as well because you got that opening with the drums and Sting just kind of waving through the I want my MTV. I feel like that all leads up to the reason I chose this song is the opening riff. And that's 
Dire Straits, Money for Nothing. I am really glad you mentioned Romeo and Juliet because that was actually one of the songs on my initial cut down list. It's just such a fun song. Absolutely. Okay, I have to ask you a question here because we're, again, we're both performing musicians. So we'll, we'll sit there and we'll pour over a set list. So before I put my number two song on this side, let me ask you, do you ever put songs in the set list in a certain order because it's funny to you to put that song there? Oh yeah, most definitely. I can give you a specific example of that. My band played a show at a bar and you had to play till three in the morning there. For some reason they went later and I thought it would be just hysterical to come out of chop suey by system of a down and go right into goodbye Earl by the Dixie chicks. Oh dear God. (laughs) But we did the me first and the gimme gimme's version, which is a little punkier and we were an all guy band. So we just came out of chop suey. And I looked at our guitar player and winked and he knew exactly what to do. And he started chugging that G and I started singing it. And truth be told, an actual fist fight broke out during the song. This is a hand to God story. Gomez, the co-host of Playlist Wars and now the host of the Sleevy G show, actually grabbed my wife and pulled her out of the melee that was happening. And two guys landed on stage, knocked over the drum set. And we had to stop the show. Police were in the venue within, I'd say, two minutes. And the reason for this massive fight had nothing to do with the song. But I I just love telling this story. (laughs) One of the two guys said to the police, that guy looked at me. And on the way out, as we're unloading our equipment, my guitarist looked at me and said, that's what you get for following up System of a Down with the Dixie Chicks. What the hell were you thinking? I said, come on, man. It's (laughs) hilarious. Speaking personally, I know we have done that, not necessarily that combination, but we've done things in the set list where it makes us laugh. Like we used to do Hurt So Good, followed by Good From Better Than Ezra, followed by Hella Good from No Doubt, because why not? Uh, you know, we would you know do the acapella intro of Fat Bottom Girls right into Babies Got Back, but a bit more of a punkier version of it. Long story short too late long story has happened (laughs) this leads me to my choice for number two because this spot on the cassette is worth a deuce (laughs) i see what you did there if you're thinking classic kiss songs deuce has has to have one of the better intros i think again we talked about this before when we were talking about doing this episode and I was saying there are certain things that I'm noticing in the songs that I'm picking that tells me a lot about how I listen to music and what actually sparks my ears, like what really perks them up. And for me, it's the swagger in a guitar riff. There's something about Deuce and a lot of these other songs that just have a lot of confidence in the guitar riff. I mean, it's a classic song too. Let's be honest, right? If you were to make a a list of Kiss songs, I'm sure Deuce is probably going to fit in a lot of people's top 10 lists. It's such a fun song, and it's Deuce at number two for me. So now my question for you is, are you going with the studio version, or are you going with the version from Alive? You know what? If if we were talking uh, God of Thunder, I'd be going with the live version, but now I'm going to go with the studio version on this one. Well, I will give you a proverbial hat tip from across the recording software here, Jason, because you chose my all-time favorite Kiss song. 
That's in my list, and it's one now that I don't have to worry about. This song kicks ass. This song shows that Kiss had a really insane, catchy guitar master in Ace Freely. And this riff instantly grabs your attention. The song is heavy. It's got a swagger. We've used that word several times. Because what is a good guitar riff if what's backing it up doesn't make sense? And the swagger, that guitar riff, kind of brings this song to this kind of manic opening energy. Absolutely love it. And now following it up, I'm going to go with another track that opens a side. It doesn't open an album, but it opens side B of the vinyl. It's one of my favorite albums of all time and probably in my top 10 favorite songs of all time. My parents used to get mad at me because I would play the song, take the needle off the record, put it back at the beginning, play the song, take the needle. And it was like I was my own loop machine. I didn't have a CD player at the time to press the repeat button. So I would just keep dropping it. And every time I would drop it, I would make sure I dropped it. So you'd hear a little bit of crackle and then you'd hear a And you're hearing the song in your head that I just referenced, 1980s Back in Black, ACDC, opening song on side B. I know it has nothing to do with the guitar riff, but that count-in to the song is my favorite count-in of all time. When you hear it live, the place erupts during the four count because the four count is so iconic, it's the start of the song. But that guitar riff has been sampled in hip-hop songs. It's been used in remixes. I've seen countless bands try and fail at covering it because nobody's going to get that Angus Young look, feel, and sound down the way he has it down. Angus Young is one of my top 10 guitarists of all time. He is an animal. He is a character. He brings the blues to hard rock. And this is an anthemic riff. I kind of always have wondered what this song would sound like with Bon Scott singing it. But Brian Johnson has made this song so iconic. It is easily his. And not every guitar riff needs to show off this amazing technical prowess. Sometimes a song just needs to rock. And like Deuce by Kiss, I feel like ACDC's Back in Black follows that up perfectly. So that is my track three. Uh, Of all the ACDC songs, that is such a good one. I mean, there were a couple that, I mean, obviously Thunderstruck was Mm -hmm. one of the ones that I was thinking of. And there's no way you can actually go back to back with ACDC on it. You just can't do it. Um, Oh, how do you follow that one up? As I take a look at my list. I mean, the good thing for you is the song fades out. (laughs) (laughs) But since it fades out, then I'm going to come back with a song that I would be remiss. I, I I would kick myself if I didn't put this song on the list. So the fact that Back in Black does fade out, it allows for this song to come in. First heard this song playing Guitar Hero, as I'm sure many people probably did. And then you hear it more, then you start to deep dive into the back catalog and you realize how good Coheed and Cambria really is. Because Welcome Home is such a monster guitar intro whether you hear it on the album whether you hear the live version like the the never ender version and then of course they used it for wwe's nxt so this is now the Mm -hmm. second wrestling based track that we've actually had there plus when you see them live and he's got the double neck guitar 
every guitarist is like, oh, there it is. Oh, now I know what song we're going to do. And it's just such a monster intro. Like the guitar solo is part of the intro aside. The actual riff itself, especially when you get the strings coming in as well. Like this song is literally the everything you could possibly want. And then some love this song. It was probably the best choice for WWNXT to use for an intro. It's, it's too bad they don't use it anymore. And anyone who hears it instantly, they, they're like, I want more Coheed and Cambria now. More and more. So welcome home, Coheed and Cambria. I have to ask you, Jason, do you think that if Guitar Hero and WWE didn't embrace this song the way it did, do you feel like they would be as big of a name? I feel like those two outlets introduce their music to so many people that may not have heard them before because most times when I think of this band and I'm going to introduce them to somebody who doesn't know them I would go right to this song specifically on the fact that I could tie it into Guitar Hero and WWE when you think about the fact that their first five albums in a row were all based on the same science fiction story Basically, the, their own, for lack of a better term, cinematic universe, if you will. They're they're Marvel for musicians. Um, no, they're they're not radio. They are radio friendly in a way because there's certain songs where you're like, yep, no, absolutely, I could hear this on the radio. But it's getting that introduction. You're right. Like if it wasn't for something like Guitar Hero, if it wasn't for Guitar Hero, no one would know of Dragon Force either. I think, no. except for people who are insane musicians and listen to Steve Vai, you know, for breakfast. Which is a shame, too, because there are, as you go on through their discography, there are some great, easily radio-friendly songs. And Coheed and Cambria is the only band I know that would be daring enough to pull off a sequel to Jesse's Girl and have it sound just as good as the original. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, not a cover. It's a sequel. And it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Completely agree. Now, with that one, ah, you're talking about radio play. And I'm literally grasping at straws because it's tough to come out of a Coheed song and find kind of the direction to go. But I think I'm going to go with a song that wasn't a top 40 hit. It only reached number 51. And I'm kind of astonished because the band I'm about to talk about is a household name and they only have one top 40 hit, but they have songs that are ingrained in everybody's musical DNA in some way, shape or form. And I'm going back to 1980 from the album Permanent Waves. And I'm going with Rush, The Spirit of Radio. As a side note, their only top 40 hit was actually 1982's New World Man, and it was not Tom Sawyer. Shocked? I know a lot of people are when they hear that. According to setlist.fm, the song was played live by the band 1,294 times, which just goes to show you how popular it was amongst Rush fans. My follow-up to Coheed is Rush, the Spirit of Radio. Now, Jason, being from Canada, maybe it is wrong of me to assume that maybe you had Rush somewhere in there, but as a bass player, I don't see any universe where you're not going to have some Getty Lee love. But, <laughs> you know, here we're talking about Alex Lifeson, so maybe you found a way to skip Rush in some way. Uh, no. As a matter of fact, if, if we're treating this mixtape like it's a fantasy draft, you just scooped my pick. Oh, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That was on there. I had a few Rush songs that, I mean, 
for me personally, my favorite Rush song is probably Animate off of the oh, Counterparts album. I love that one. It baffles me. They didn't have more than this one, you know, Billboard top hit. Of course, they're constantly played on much music here. Anytime Rush spoke, it was out there. And we could always go to the Great White North album and listen to Getty Lee sing with Bob and Doug McKenzie on Take Off. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, you actually scooped my pick on Spirit of Radio because that was the song I said, like, okay, that's the one. That's where it's going to be. Oh, how do you follow that one, though? Hmm. And again, it's one of those things where you take a look at the list and go, I could put this song, I could put this song. But I realize as we're going through this, our tape is missing something. Oh, really? Our tape is missing some female guitar slingers. Ah, yeah, good point. So I'm going to follow up Spirit of Radio with Barracuda from Heart. Yes! <laughs> you know, we've, we've been talking about swagger, and I don't think anyone swaggered as much as Nancy Wilson on that song. You hear it, and you are ready to go. The minute you hear that opening riff, like... <sighs> Let's be honest. It's an iconic song, not just for the decade, not even just for the Seattle music scene, but it's iconic, period. Generation after generation after generation. And anyone who tries to do Barracuda afterwards, and I've heard some decent enough covers, but they all pale in comparison to the original. So gotta go with Barracuda from Heart. Although I will say that Adrenaline Mob did a decent job of covering it, but you, you cannot... You just can't compare. That was going to be the one I was going to mention, along with Fergie from one of the Shrek movies. I remember it being in there. Obviously, neither one compares to Nancy Wilson, and no one's going to hit the vocals the way Ann Wilson sings that song. I'm glad you did that because I think we just went scoop for scoop right there. I had that <laughs> song in my list. You cannot deny that riff. And I am so happy that Heart is making this list because they are obviously a very popular band. When they reunite, they do sell out amphitheaters and arenas and stuff. But I still feel like a lot of people don't put them on the same level as a Fleetwood Mac or an Eagles. And I, I think that's wrong. I think they're right up there. I think they're deservedly up there as one of the best female fronted classic rock bands maybe of all time. Oh, absolutely. Like, even when you hear bands that do decent enough covers of their songs, like if you've heard Hellstorm do All I Want to Do is Make Love to You, you can actually hear the influence that Hart had on a band like Hellstorm. It was good songwriting. It was phenomenal musicianship. We're talking about the sisters that made Led Zeppelin cry. Let's be honest, while they were covering a Led Zeppelin song, like vocally, musicianship-wise, you know me. I'm a massive Queensryche fan. I'm also a you know, big Allison Chains fan. But Hart really is perhaps the best Seattle act of all time. I'm not sure many people would even argue that because when Hart did the Live in Atlantic City DVD and Blu-ray, their special guests were Allison Chains, Duff McKagan. I mean, they're influential on so many levels. Look. They took a song that was originally recorded by I-10 in 1983 called Alone. Nobody knew it existed. And it became such a massive hit song. And for years, when American Idol first launched, people would sing that song and butcher it until Carrie Underwood came out and slayed it. 
And I'll be honest with you, that cover is what made Carrie Underwood a superstar. And it's still not as good as Ann Wilson's. So completely agree. But you are leaving me with a very tough move here. (laughs) But I'm going to pivot this in a slightly personal way, but something that will work musically on this list as well. Ann Wilson is my favorite female singer of all time. I am going to follow it up with my favorite musician of all time. So anybody that knows me immediately knows I'm going with Tom Petty. But this riff has got nothing to do with Tom Petty. This riff is by Riff Machine Mike Campbell, who has been Tom Petty's right-hand man through all of his albums, including 1989's Full Moon Fever. And this is the album I'm choosing my song from. It's the closing track on side A, and it is Running Down a Dream. You think about Mike Campbell's guitar riffs. You Wreck Me, Refugee, Jammin' Me. That's just with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. He also wrote The Boys of Summer by Don Henley. Stop Dragging My Heart Around by Stevie Nicks, obviously with Tom Petty. And yet Running Down a Dream, a Tom Petty solo album featuring the Heartbreakers, sticks out amongst all those songs. It is legitimately the perfect road trip song. So much so that pretty much any country song that name drops playing Tom Petty on the radio was probably thinking about this song. Because when you go on a road trip, this song screams road trip. And obviously for another personal reason, Tom Petty being my favorite artist, performing at the 2008 Super Bowl halftime show, which I was at with my wife to see the New York Giants defeat the undefeated New England Patriots to win the Super Bowl. So in one three-hour stretch, actually two-hour stretch at that point, I got to see Tom Petty close his set with this song, followed by the Giants winning the Super Bowl. It doesn't get any better than that. So for me, my next track, Tom Petty, Running Down a Dream. You know what's funny? I knew you were going to pick a Tom Petty song. There, There was no question about this whatsoever. I honestly thought you were going to go with American Girl. No, no. Hmm. I love the song. Don't get me wrong. It's, a, it's an iconic riff. Having played in cover bands, it suffers from overkill for me. I can see that. I've seen so many cover bands in New Jersey. It's pretty much on every cover band set list. So for my group, Colburn and Company, we actually deviate and we play Learning the Fly, You Got Lucky, Mary Jane's Last Dance, which unfortunately is pretty much up there with American Girl and Running Down a Dream, as well as, again, we have a book of songs, so we don't play these all on the same night, but we also do Handle with Care by the Traveling Wilburys. So we try to avoid that one just because every band kind of does it around here. Maybe it's different by you in Canada, but I'd be very curious if it is because it's obviously a song about American Girl. I have played, I think, four Tom Petty songs live. Uh, Running Down a Dream is one of them. Obviously, Free Falling, I've played that live a bunch of times. We have done Mary Jane's Last Dance, but we medley that with Danny California from nice. the Red Hot Chili Peppers because it's pretty much the same song. Yes. And, but we also do um, Stop Dragging My Heart Around as well. So, yeah, now you've, oh, I could go a couple of different directions on this next song, though. Because you put your favorite artist in. And if I were to put my favorite artist in, it would be a toss-up between one of two songs. But I think you've actually already mentioned 
the next song I'm going to put in, but it's going to be the cover version. And it's going to be the Boys of Summer, the Atari's version. Really? Wow. This is one of those songs that much like we've talked about, like no one could cover hard and do it justice. I think this is one of those songs where the Atari's really made this song that much better as good as the Don Henley version is. And the heart of the matter was actually another song that I had had in my mind just for, you know, it's a good intro. It's a decent riff, but the boys of summer, and I know you like this song and I know you like this cover of the song. Cause you've mentioned this on playlist wars a couple of times, I think. Oh yeah, certainly boys of summer just took a song that was pretty good radio airplay song and made it a monster massive hit. And the minute you hear that opening riff, once again, it's like, you know, and this is, I mean, the Ataris have done covers before and actually made them pretty good. They, there's a great cover that they did of I Remember You from Skid Row. Oh, yeah, that was a fantastic one. Oh, yeah. But I mean, I think this is their pièce de résistance. Like, if you were to say the Ataris, this is going to be the first song you mentioned. If you say most 2000-era pop punk, this might be one of the first songs that you mentioned. You can't deny how much better they made this song. Completely agree, man. What a great song. And look, Tom Petty's in no way, shape, or form punk music, but Running Down a Dream has a punky vibe to it. So going into the Ataris, coming out of Tom Petty, the two just work back to back. I love the punk version of The Boys of Summer, and Colburn and Company actually plays the Ataris version acoustically. So just picture the Atari's energy, but done with a violin, a piano, and a female singer with the acoustic guitar. And that's the way we play this version. And I think it goes over really, really well because it's unique in of the fact that it's acoustic, but it would certainly make much more sense to play Don Henley's version acoustically, but instead we bring the Atari's energy to the acoustic version. So it's kind of its own little meld. Anyway, following that up is going to be a bitch because I am not really thinking punk tonight and coming out of that song to me is really tough because this is also my last pick of the night and my last contribution to this tape. So it's got to be a monster. So it's got to have a punkish vibe but it's got to be an iconic song that really starts to tie this tape together as we're nearing the end. So while he is in no way, shape, or form punk, I think it would be a crime to not include this person through either of the iterations he was in musically. I am not actually going to go with a Black Sabbath song here, but I am going to go with a solo Ozzy song. And I'm going to go with the one that everybody's probably thinking because you're coming out of a punk song with this manic energy continue that mania with crazy train from 1980s blizzard of oz randy rhodes one of the greatest hard rock riffs ever this song has accolades everywhere i, I could go on sports anthems when have you been to a football game or a hockey game that doesn't have crazy train playing at some point in the night you haven't nobody has because it's just synonymous with sports. It's been in video games, obviously, television, movies. You think about when the Osbournes became a show and that Pat Boone version was the theme song. This song is in everybody's mind, even to the point where a band like Weezer, who is a little punkier, a little more alternative, 
used a reworking of that riff in their song Blue Dream, which was on the Van Weezer album. If you give that a listen, it's not necessarily a cover of Crazy Train, but it's definitely an homage to it. So yeah, Bobby Schultz had chimed in, like I mentioned at the top of the show with Black Sabbath's Iron Man, and he also said, how can you have one of these playlists without including some form of Ozzy or Sabbath? Realistically, we can include them both here, and I think they both work, but I'm going with Crazy Train coming out of the boys of summer. It's funny. Cause I only had one black Sabbath era song and it was going to be a cover version. I was going to actually throw in anthrax's cover of Sabbath, bloody Sabbath. Nice. From the, I'm the man DP. Exactly. Because of course, you know, anthrax being awesome, but that being said too, the first song that comes to my mind, whenever I'm thinking any kind of Aussie intro, I immediately had to disqualify from my shortlist because it's a bass intro and that's no more tears. Oh, yeah. uh, and because of the, 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 the rules I had set for myself, because there are some songs where it's like, that's an amazing intro. It's on bass. It doesn't qualify. So that eliminated songs like, you know, no more tears. It eliminated wood from Allison chains. Mm-hmm. It eliminated some of the songs from concrete blonde off of the bloodletting album. So, so many songs got booted out because it's like, nope, nope, it's on bass. Which leads me, of course, now to the last song. And putting Crazy Train in has actually made me second guess the song I was going to end with. I thought I had it figured out, and now I'm not sure if I do or not. (laughs) I think I'm going to stick with the song that I had originally had in mind for closing this out. And people are going to get a heavy, heavy dose of this on the festival tour this summer because I'm going to end off with Everlong from the Foo Fighters. Look, there are a lot of people who are still gutted the fact that Taylor Hawkins is no longer with us. Mm -hmm. But much like we talked about with Pantera, it's really good to see that the Foo Fighters are getting back on their feet and they're going to get back out there. And, you know, I'm hoping that people don't sit there and say, well, they should have stopped. Well, you know what? People will say they should have stopped Nirvana. Yes, they did. But there's still, it still doesn't mean that the other guys can't continue on and bringing that music to the live audiences. I guarantee you there are going to be tears shed when they play this song live. There's going to be tears shed anywhere the Foo Fighters go this summer and go support them. Honestly, go enjoy the music because not that I know him personally or knew him personally, but I guarantee you Taylor Hawkins would love to know that people are still out there enjoying the music that they played. So ending it off with a bit of a tear ever long from the Foo Fighters. Now, obviously, you know, having seen the Foo Fighters that over the last few years when they've played it live, they've started it quietly and acoustically and then kind of melded it into the heavy version that everyone's familiar with. So I'm kind of curious because you could technically go in either direction here because the sentiment of the song, I feel is what's awesome to close this thing out. Would you go with the original studio version, the acoustic version, which is on the greatest hits album or one of the live versions that they've been playing lately where it's half and half. I think on the mixtape, I would put the original version. It just has the most power. Don't get me wrong. I love like an extended live intro, you know, when I go to see them live. But if I'm putting it on the mixtape, I got to go with the actual album version. Well, I love it. Closing out side B, a 
Perfect, perfect pick, if I do say so myself. I'm extremely happy with where we went with this. And look, let me just say for the record, before I read out the songs on side B, I'm looking at this list, and I can already tell you there's at least another dozen songs that I am gutted that aren't in this playlist. And just from artists, without even saying the song, let's just say Guns N' Roses, Maiden, Motley Crue, Nirvana, The Police, Queen, Stevie Ray Vaughan, ZZ Top. I get it. There's a lot of songs that we can't get to. But I am pretty stoked with how this mixtape came together. The nice thing is, just taking a look at the song list, like honestly, from side A or side B, if this is in the car on a road trip, that's going to be a great trip. Because clearly it's going to be a, a 90, right? It's going to be 45 at least on either side. It's, it's the extended so. tape. Oh, yeah. The flow. That was always the thing, but it makes tape. It's got to be the flow. And yeah, you listed some some great bands that aren't on the list. I'm just taking a look at my list here and saying, my God, I can't believe I didn't pick that. I didn't pick that. But it's not always about the songs that you want to hear. When you're making the mixtape for the car, you got to think about everyone else in the car. It should be a group effort like this. It should be keeping other people in mind. Yeah, sometimes the mixtape is about bands you wish other people knew. And sometimes you want to put those songs out there so people, you know, people get to experience the things that you like about those songs. But in a situation like this, it's great. I think it, it flows really well. And there's there's a little bit of everything here. There's a little bit of discovery in there. There's a little bit of flow. And there's a little bit of each person's personality in there. And that's the goal of this show. Side B. Money for Nothing by Dire Straits. Deuce by Kiss in the number two spot. I see what you did there, Jason. Mm -hmm. Back in Black by ACDC. Welcome Home by Coheed and Cambria. The Spirit of Radio by Rush. Barracuda by Heart. Running Down a Dream by Tom Petty. The Boys of Summer by the Ataris. Crazy Train by Ozzy Osbourne. And closing it off with Everlong by the Foo Fighters. And remember, you can head over to MyWeeklyMixtape.com, visit the opening guitar riffs page, and hear all the songs we've discussed in this mix tonight. Jason, before we eject this final mixtape and unleash it upon the universe, why don't you remind people where they can learn more about It's Not That Bad. Brian, thank you so much for that. It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A grades in B movies. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it be Spotify, Apple, Good Pods, Google, Pandora, Stitcher, wherever, even on Samsung Podcasts, you can hear us wherever you get them. You can also find us on Twitter for as long as Twitter lasts at Not That Badcast, <laughs> uh, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Not That Badcast, and at our brand new website at notthatbadcast.com. Jason, thank you so much for joining us tonight, man. This has been a blast. Oh, thank you for having me, man. This has been so much fun. And remember, you can find my weekly mixtape on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at My Weekly Mixtape. You can also head to MyWeeklyMixtape.com to hear the music we discussed on tonight's episode and check out the full catalog of My Weekly Mixtape episodes. If you want to support the show, please consider becoming a Patreon mixtaper at Patreon.com forward slash My Weekly Mixtape. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, enjoy the tunes. 
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 